the USM four ball. And that's where uh, I could tell you, I had a putt on the last hole. that was about a 20 footer and I was shaking, but I, I remembered like all this practice that I've done just reverted back to the breath. I mean, I couldn't stop myself from shaking, but I knew that it was a very intense moment with a lot of energy. And if I just put my mind or thoughts towards the correct, you know, area, there's a lot of energy going to this right thing. So I just made sure like, I'm just going to see this putt go in and, and just hit it. I can't think of anything else. And, and I just did. Today on the Tournament Code, we are interviewing Leo Herrera. Leo won the 2017 AJGA Jim Bell Memorial and the 2019 AJGA Bishopsgate Junior Golf Academy Championship. He was a 2019 Rolex All-American and also a member of the Venezuelan national team. Most recently, Leo won the 2021 United States Four Ball Championship with Kiko Colio. Did you kind of start playing um, Florida State Golf Association events starting out, or where did your uh, entry into competitive golf start? So it all started with first tee. Uh, the first four tournaments I played, I won, which was a booster for me. It was like, felt like, okay, this is awesome. Um, so it was first tee, and then I got into uh, U.S. Kids. I mean, those those are the good old days. Um, we We played you know, at local events, state events, regional events, and then the world championship, which is right behind me, Pinehurst. Um, it was one of the most memorable moments of my whole golf career to this day. Um, just at the age that I was, a um, ton of young kids competing against each other all over the world. So many kids, um, great environment, intense environment. And it really like got me to the next level of competitive golf. Um, and as I started to evolve past the U.S. kids days, this would be like after I was 12 years old. When I was like 13 to 18, I got into the South Florida PGA League um, and the, the Florida State Golf Association League as well. And then I, I threw in some AJGA tournaments there when I was 16 to 18 years old, the end of my junior career. And, you know, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I did it right. It was I started off like with the South Florida, like which is a, a lower league and and I got some wins under my belt and I started to like just learn how to win, uh, although it was like an easy field or easier. Um, and then the Florida, the FJT's Florida Junior Tour, it was a uh, it was good because it was competitive, but I could it could still like you could still win. It, it wasn't like you had to shoot so many so much under par. Um, but then the AJGAs came and that was that was just another level of just the whole environment. You can only play five a year. Um, all of it was, uh, it was good, but that's kind of how my journey went in junior golf. Very cool. Jumping back to getting into those AJGAs, etc. It sounds like obviously you've been in the golf world for a good amount of time, but what was the course like that you grew up at and what was the junior golf there? Did you have a bunch of buddies that you played with there uh or was it just you out there grinding uh well I, I got to meet a ton of buddies um 
I was lucky. I mean, I feel like Florida is like the number one state or number two next to Texas and California for golf. So a lot of good players came from Florida that I played with a lot in the South Florida PGA stuff and the U.S. Kids stuff. Um, so, I mean, I had a lot of friends growing up um, in the FJTs and the AJGAs, and we just got closer in those events. And um, when I won my first AJGA, or sorry, when I won the second one, I got into the Invitationals, which was like, you know, that's like the perk of, of junior golf. You're getting to play like Liberty National, Greyhawk, uh, PGA National, and, and so many other nice courses uh, with the best players in the world um, for junior golf. And, and it was it was really fun uh, to be able to be in that environment with such good players and, and become friends with them as well. So when you kind of stepped right into AJGA, did you have immediate success or, you know, were you just kind of winning these Florida junior girls? Florida Junior State Golf Association events and then kind of just going straight into the AJGAs winning those or was there a little bit yeah. of a learning curve no there was a learning curve uh I think I, I well the first ever AJGA event that I was in was a qualifier my dad was we were like we have a house up in North Carolina it's like our vacation home and we were we were coming back from there and the tournament was in South Carolina and it was a qualifier. I needed some stars um, to get into other events. And he was like, you know, just play this. We're not going to be able to play the tournament, but just play it. Um, and I actually qualified in, in the first ever try. Uh, but I, I just got the stars. I didn't play in the event. Um, and then my first event was in Texas. And I came in like 20th, which was like I played well, I felt like. But, you know, it was like a different competition. I had to shoot a lot better and... and you know, narrow my misses a little more. Um, and I, I felt like the first year I didn't really get any any good start or good finishes. Um, and then the, the second year, uh, you know, I learned what I needed to do to compete out there. And I was able to put myself in the final group three times in a row. Um, one was at a dive preserve which is up it's in Jupiter. It was a great course. And, and the good thing about it was that you didn't have to go crazy low. And those are the types of tournaments that I feel like I, I strive in because it's all about like, you know, staying mentally in it and, and, you know, making pars, making good saves, keeping it simple. Um, and then the other one was one in South Carolina. Uh, and the last one was at Bay Hill, which I eventually won. Um, but the, the first two, I mean, I, I completely blew up like in the final group. I was super nervous. Um, I think I shot like 80 and then like 79. Both of the times I finished like bogey, double bogey um, to miss out on like the top five. Because the big thing was get, to get top five, you get fully exempt and then you move on. And like you don't have to worry about stars and all that and ranking or ranking yet, but not stars. Um, and it was a bummer because I was like, dang, I was so close to just getting, I mean, even if I didn't get the win, that top five would have been nice. Um, but I, I blew it up. But then the, the last one at, at, at Bay Hill, I ended up winning by six shots, which was, a, it was like a huge boost for me doing it on a course like that. You know, that, that helped my confidence for sure. So you mentioned that you get into these final groups of these tournaments and you're really nervous. Uh, you have a tough time down the stretch. 
What did you do to try to deal with those nerves the first time you were in that situation? And then what did you do better when you eventually won that tournament to deal with those nerves? Yeah. So at the first, like at first I just started, I started fighting the nerves. Uh, I was like, I don't want to be nervous. Like I shouldn't be nervous, but I mean, Eventually, I, I learned that nerves is just a part of the environment and, and you have to embrace them in order to perform well under them. Um, I mean, you got to be, this is why you practice. You got to be willing to go out there and feel different. I mean, your body feels different. Your, your adrenaline's pumping. It. We can talk about the USM later on, like the four ball, how, how I was pumping. <laughs> and it's all about, you know, like literally just letting it flow through your body but I just felt like in the beginning, I was like restricting it a lot because I, I felt like being nervous wasn't like a good thing. Um, but I felt like at, in, at Bay Hill, when I finally broke through, I mean, I had a, I had a comfortable lead coming into the last round. Um, but I told myself I still got to stay like in my in my mojo. It's a tough course. You can blow up anytime. Um so it's just about, you know, I embraced the nerves and, and just stuck to the process. The big thing was sticking to each shot where instead of like trying to get ahead of myself, like, you know, I feel like in the first two events that I blew up, it was just like I was getting ahead of myself. You know, I, I knew at that point I wasn't going to win, but I was like, I could still get a top five. And I was thinking about like the, the placing and all that. And it just got in my head and, you know, it finally gets you. The game's always going to get you. It's, you're never going to get around it. That makes sense. And that final round, you said you were staying inside of yourself, staying focused on the process. Was there any sort of uh, mantra you uh, repeated or were thinking as you were going through your pre-shot or throughout the day? Yeah, I'm a big uh, advocate of the breath. I mean, especially in those types of situations. The mantras could change here and there depending on the time situation, but the one thing that does not change is is the rhythm of your breath, or at least that's something that I like to really focus on. Um, and it helps me a ton just because, I mean, you're jittering out there, uh, especially when you got a big putt, either if it's to win or, or, or when you're starting off, especially the first two or three holes. Um, like right off the bat, you're going to start jittering. And it's like it takes your body at least 30 minutes to get rid of your adrenaline. Um, so... It's about controlling the breath and being in, in your body as much as possible. Very cool. In particular, the breath part. I do uh, breath work now just in general, but can you walk us through some of the specifics that you've learned as far as what you're looking for um, in your breath when you're on the course and getting uh, jittery and like how you notice it and then what you do or focus on to get your heart rate back down and get your breath uh, to a better level. Yeah. So for me, it's all, all about deep, shallow breaths from your nose. Um, I try not to breathe from my mouth because that's uh, kind of induces like a fight or flight mode. Uh, so when you're when you're breathing from your nose, you're breathing a lot deeper. Just being conscious of your breath makes your breath a little deeper. Um, that's definitely the first thing that I'm looking at and honestly the only thing because thoughts are going to come and go uh and I, I like my my mantra most of the time is really just not attaching to the thoughts whether they're good or bad because I've noticed over my I've noticed over my career that like even when things are going well it's easy to get into those those 
you know, thoughts where it's like, okay, we're doing good, we're doing good. But then it's like, even that is you attaching to something and leaving your body, like, and getting into your mind. Um, so using the breath is a vehicle for me to be in, in my body as much as possible and let go of any type of attachment. So yeah, nasal breathing for me. That is, that is some deep stuff and that is some sophisticated stuff, especially, uh, how old are you? 21? 20. Yeah. You're 20. This is stuff. I mean, I'm 26 now and it took me a long time just to kind of get into this on my own. How did you get exposure to, um, meditation? It sounds like, uh, dealing with thoughts and breath work. Well, it all kind of started in college for me. Um, so my first year in college, I went to UCF um, and it was the COVID year. My roommates were from out of the country and they had to, you know, fly in uh, and they couldn't in, in the first semester. So I was by myself uh, in my dorm and I didn't have any that much work to do, honestly, from school. School was pretty light and I really focused on, on like my own personal growth just to at first it was to improve my game. I was like, I want to get my mind straight, get my, my goals clear, you know, put myself in the right direction since all I'm doing is really grinding. Like we just had practice, no tournaments. It was just like kind of a time to grind. And that kind of, you know, it all, you can only connect the dots backwards. But at that time, I didn't really know, but it was leading me towards, you know, my own personal growth and just understanding myself a little better. And the vehicles that I used were meditation and breath work. Um, and those kind of things, I mean, like, well, we can get into this where I, when I was in college, I didn't really have the best time when I was there. I felt like the the system that I was a part of was just something I wasn't like necessarily happy with, just with my coach. And it, I wasn't the only one that, that thought like this. I mean, like six guys from my team ended up leaving that year as well. Um, but I, I, I try to like, you know, just find something where I could just clear my mind and not let it get to me. And I felt like meditation was the best part that, that got me pretty clear. And ever since I started it, I've loved it. And because I've seen the benefits it's had for me. And I mean, the best show that I, I had for that was the USM four ball. And that's where. I could tell you, I had a putt on the last hole that was about a 20 footer and I was shaking, but I, I remembered like all this practice that I've done, just reverted back to the breath. I mean, I couldn't stop myself from shaking, but I knew that it was a very intense moment with a lot of energy. And if I just put my mind or thoughts towards the correct, you know, area, there's a lot of energy going to those right things. So I just made sure like, I'm just going to see this putt go in and and just hit it i can't think of anything else and and i just did so you had this really good junior career and you went on to play a semester or a year at ucf i'm not sure um a year and a year and then you play uh you 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 moved on and turned pro tell us a little bit about how that transition has gone and has the switch from our junior to college, to pro golf, been kind of what you expected it to be or different? Um, so the transition, I honestly, I left college and I didn't know if I wanted to turn pro, but my coach told me I should because 
you know, I'm like, I'm not in college. I should be playing some some events and might as well like make some money doing it um, since I'm not really going to be playing college events, which is where it really it's all in. Um, so I was like, all right, I turned pro and, you know, the journey that started by going to the Dominican Republic. I played this tour over there for about four months and it was good because I got to travel, learn how to like, you know, live somewhere else and, and figure myself out. Um, and I love the Dominican Republic. It was just a good place to like kind of zen out, you know, like get my mind together and, 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 you know, understand everything. And I didn't really play that, that well. Uh, I, I was, I also went through a long period of time, about a year where I had like the wrong equipment for me. And it was kind of an issue. I, I got like some clubs that, that were right, but then it was always like a mess for like a year. Um, and then I finally got the right clubs this year in the beginning of the year. And I've been seeing my game progress a lot better. Um, so that was also something that was in the back of my head, where it was like almost golf was like kind of telling me like, you know, focus on on the things that you can control right now. And because I mean, with COVID, everything was backed up. It took forever. Um, so I was like, you know, I took that time. I always try to see the silver linings and things. And, and I took that time to just focus on myself and focus what I can control. And I've been really happy with all, all the things that I've been doing. I've just been, the events haven't been too crazy. I mean, other than the, the, the four ball event, that was the only like real big event that I've played. Other than that, it's just been like local stuff or pretty small pro tours. So, so let's talk a little bit more about the four ball you i was doing some research and i saw you played in the florida junior amateur and you finished second to kiko coleo and i saw you guys so you guys he won the state junior you finished second and then you guys teamed up and played in the us four ball together so just tell us about how that whole process went yeah i mean when I played with Kiko, I, I absolutely loved his character. And I was like, this is just a good kid. And I remember that day, I think I ended up shooting 10 under in that tournament, but he shot like 14. Um, and I shot one under the final round and played good, but he shot like five under or something. And I was like, okay, this kid, this kid's good. Um, and, but I, I just loved him and his family and we just hit it off. And then he hit me up. He was like, Hey, we should, uh, we should play the four ball together. And I'm like, wow, like we're just going to destroy, like this is going to be a good duo. Um, and I remember in the, in the, in the qualifier, it was pouring. And I was telling Kiko, we love the rain. We love the rain. And like, it was like trying to get our head into it because I knew something like I wasn't playing good at all coming into that qualifier. I was playing really, really poor. But then I, like when I was hit with him and we were together, it was just like something clicked. And I, I played well, um, we got in, we won the qualifier and just, we just stayed positive through these like really tough conditions. And that's something that's like very important. You just never know what golf or the weather is going to hit you with. And it's all about staying in, in your mode. Um, and then in the four ball, I mean, it was just so fun. I got there, it was at Chambers Bay. The second I got there, I was just like, wow, like I'm so happy just to be here. Um, I had no expectations whatsoever of, of performing well at all. There's a lot of good players. Um, 
I was just like, hey, let's just have fun. Like, this place is amazing. Like, I was just in awe of the whole place. And I feel like it was that attitude um, that allowed us to play so well. We played really well in the stroke play and, and got into match play. Um, and actually, in the first event, or the first match, uh, the round of 36, and I, I was playing all right in the beginning, but then Kiko kind of carried me throughout the round. Uh, and on 18, we were one down. Um, and Kiko hits his three wood to like 10 feet. Uh, it's a par five and they give it to him. We get to extra holes and we win on like the third extra hole. Cause those guys three putt, but we like, we we're sniffing, like losing, like it, w- it did not look pretty the whole time for us at all. Um, but we got that win and, and then the, the rest of the matches, we kind of like comfortably won. We were always ahead. Um, and then we faced the, the number one seed. Uh, David Ford and Kelly Chin, some really good players, some really good junior golfers. Um, had a lot of respect for them. They won a ton of invitational tournaments in the AJGA days. Uh, and I was like, I knew we really had to to step up and, and we played really well. I played really well. Kika played really well. And they were kind of coming back. We were two up and they came back. Um, on 16, they won it. David birdied. And then 17, Kelly, it's like a, like a, I forgot how far it was, but it's a four iron par three, pretty narrow green. Kelly hits it to like six feet. David hits it to like, like five feet. Kiko misses the green and I step up and I hit the best shot. One of, one of the best shots of my life to like a foot and they gave it to me. We won the match. And I remember inter- getting an interview after that, and I was like, yeah, I think we're going to win this. Like, it's like we just beat the number one seed. I felt really good about our game. And the, just like everything about the week was just like going our way. Um, and the next match was against two kids from Notre Dame. Uh, and I think uh, Palmer Jackson and Davis Chatfield, uh, good players, um, both seniors at Notre Dame. And that was like my, my best day out there. That was like seven under through 14. Um, and they were just like, kind of like, all right, like they couldn't do anything about it. Really. It was a really good day for me. I just, just kind of had a good day. Um, we won that one. And then the final match was, it was intense, man. Like that one was like, it almost had like the least energy in it in the beginning though. I felt like, you know, we'd play a ton of golf. We we're kind of worn out. Um, Beginning was just kind of a lot of pars, a couple birdies. We were down a little bit in the in the beginning, and then we we got it back together where we were we were all square. We got to two up um, with four to play, and I almost felt like we left our we put our guard down a little bit there. And they the other kids started making. He made a huge putt on on fifteen for birdie, uh, and then another one on seventeen, and. We're, we're on 18 all tied up and I mean, this is what you live for. It's like one of the best moments. And, uh, one of the, the guy who made the two birdies hits driver off the deck toward like the front of the green. And I'm like, okay, like we got to make birdie really. And he hits his chip. It's a 50 yard chip. It hits the center of the flag stick and it 360 lips out to like six inches. <laughs> and I'm standing right next to the hole and I'm like, wow like this is like 
this is our chance. I, I, I could have easily thought, you know, like, okay, like they, they want this. Like I had like a 20 footer for bird or 15 footer for birdie. Kiko had like a 20 footer, but it was like, I felt like it was that mindset that I took into that putt that really allowed me to like make it. Um, Cause the second he hit it, he hit it and, and I saw it lip out. I was just like, all right, this is my chance to go in. And I stepped up, Kiko gave me a good read and, and I just, I, I blacked out and made it. And I remember uh, going into the porta potty right after that and tr trying to catch my breath. I was like, geez, like, like you're so pumped up. And we go to the first hole and I guess I'm like, I still got to play. Um, and uh, I hit my drive. Usually that's a par five. I, I hit two iron and three wood into the green. And that time I hit five iron into the green. I was like, super juiced. Like the ball just goes way further just in another world um and one of the, the other guy just ended up missing like a four footer to tie us there and we won it it was a great experience you know you're growing up in florida on a certain type of grass certain type of golf courses and you go all the way out to chambers bay who which kind of had famously bad greens in the u.s open um, was there an adjustment to playing on that type of grass growing up in florida um well, the greens were, they actually redid them uh, when I was there. So they were not that bad, okay. but they were definitely different. Um, they were, they were super undulated. Um, you just have to be very creative out there. You can hit a certain shot like 20 different ways. I remember hitting a few chip shots where I was like, I, I hit it like 20 yards by the hole and take it, take the ridge and, and it's come, coming back to you like, there's a lot of it's a roller coaster course I, I like to call it, um, but it was fun. I just I took the attitude of just enjoying the experience, and it, it brought out some good stuff, which is which is nice. Taking that, uh, adjusting to Chambers Bay is one thing, but when you travel throughout the country playing on tournaments, especially when it's younger, switching grasses can be I know kind of weird for uh, Cooper and I. We grew up in uh, kind of the Midwest, uh, and the North part of the South where there's a lot of bent grass. So I can remember coming down to Georgia, especially playing on, uh, Bermuda, not that nice of courses. And it was a different experience. What's, what do you think of, or is there anything that you think of when you're traveling around and playing on different types of grass? Yeah, it's just very important to do your research as to like how the grass is going to react, um, and everything. Really, that's about it. I mean, Bermuda, it's it's a lot more grainy um, and bent, less grainy. Those are the two main ones I've played in. I don't think I've really played in much different. Um, for me, it's really about the greens. That's the big difference. Like with bent, I, I've seemed to struggle with like over my career so far, just like uh, over reading the greens because I'm used to the grain kind of taking it a little more than I, than, than normal. Um, and the bent and bent grass, it just breaks a little less, but I think I would just say, do your research as to like what the grass is, is supposed to do and, and test it out when you're doing your practice rounds. Speaking of uh, practice rounds, something that we've been trying to ask all our guests is how do you approach practice rounds? I know this is something that, you know, college players, amateurs, juniors, and even pros struggle with is how to approach a practice round. Yeah, so for practice rounds, I, I really just like to look at what clubs am I taking off the tee? Um, 
where can the pins be? And one big thing is like a lot, I see a lot of junior golfers like playing out their ball in practice rounds, like to making it to the hole. But I've always been taught at a young age to like, you know, once you hit it onto the green, like pick it up, you're not, the, the pin's probably not going to be there for the tournament. Go and like feel the green and you got to be very observant on practice rounds. I mean, I, this is something I actually want to do in the near future is play a practice round without even, without hitting a shot where I'm just like looking at the course and, you know, seeing everything because that's what you really want to do in a practice round. Like, yeah, you want to hit the shots and all that, but if you want to go practice, just go to the range and, and, and do that. But I mean, know the numbers, you know, exactly where the percentage play is off the tee, especially, um, and know where you can and cannot miss on the greens. Um, and I would say just feel the greens. I mean, hit putts around everywhere. Feel the speed. And and yeah, and understand kind of where the wind is coming uh, during the practice round. Uh, and see if it's going to be a similar wind. Because a big thing is checking the wind for the whole week. Because it could be into the wind today in the practice round. But then tomorrow, it's downwind. So it's a completely different club off the tee. Uh, so you just have to take those things into consideration and I make sure I always write the win because that's that's what's influenced me to pick that club off the tee in that particular moment so it's very important interesting I have two questions from that one you talk about uh, making the percentage play off the tee and knowing where to miss uh, as far as the green goes is there a strategy uh, that you use to help make those determinations or what, what do you filter through for that? Um, well, I like to see in college, we use decade, which is an app. Um, it kind of, it's like a cone. It, it, it measures your, your range of miss with a certain club. The longer the club, the, the wider the miss. So, I mean, you just, you try to like create your field goal with whatever club you have and see, you know, is this going to put me in a bad spot if I miss it? If it is, then it's probably not the right club. We could take a, a less club, narrow the cone a little bit, and put ourselves in position. And, it, and it's very important to understand that you don't need to have wedges into every hole. Like like putting yourself in a par four, just throwing an iron in. This is one thing I did a lot in junior golf because I could not hit my driver straight at all. I just had the hooks a lot when I was, when I was growing up. Um, driver's a lot better now, thankfully. But... Uh, and I used a lot of irons off the tee. And I, I was like, anything inside 400 yards, I didn't even consider it. I was like, I'm just going to hit an iron, a two iron. I love my two iron. Um, and it, it did pretty well for me. Like, I, I was able to position my ball pretty well. And in those tournaments where, you know, you didn't have to go crazy low, I, I was able to do very well because I was always in play and, and, and playing, you know, to my strength, which was, has always been my iron game. Interesting. And on top of that, the second question I had is you talked about getting the win position for the week and the win position for the day. And so a lot of how I've done that when I caddy is, you know, you get on the weather channel app, see where the wind's coming out of, uh, you have your yardage book, which has the compass, uh, on it. And so you note, Hey, here's where the wind's coming from. And so throughout the day, for the most part, how we would do it is, we would just play, even if we weren't feeling that much necessarily, we would play whatever we thought the prevailing wind was for that day and adjust to that. Is that 
A, is that what you do? And B, if that is what you do and you're out there on the course and you feel like a weird gust, how do you uh, figure out, okay, is this a real change in the wind or am I just feeling some sort of wind pattern that happens because of how these trees are? Yeah. A, yes, I do. And, and B, um, I've noticed that gusts, they kind of like go away after, if you just wait them out, they just wait like 20 seconds or something. Um, if you're really like confused about like, okay, this is not the, the ordinary, you know, wind pattern that, that it should be today. So just wait it out. And if it's still going that way, then, you know, maybe the wind just changed, but I would always say, give it, give it like 15 to 20 seconds to just double check. Um, cause it could just be something that's trying to fool you. Do you have a strategy for nutrition when you play in golf tournaments? Um, so I do. It's it's very simple, honestly. I don't like to eat too much when I'm out there, and that's something that a lot of people would probably be like, oh, it's probably not what it. It's normal. Um, but I, I've been diving into this nutritional aspect for a long time, and there's so many lies that that we're being told about food. It's absolutely crazy. Number one, like focus on the like you got to focus on the priorities of your body which is number one, the breath. Number two, it's hydration. Number three, it's sleep. Then it's food. But I mean, you, you got to get a good night's sleep. Very important. Um, you got to make sure you're staying hydrated and hydration happens before the tournament. Like it's not a thing you do during, like you got to be, you know, well hydrated before coming in. Um, and, and I don't know, do a lot of, do a lot of research on, on breathing and, and stuff that can energize because, breath can turn into energy for you like it's your number one source of energy uh and and being mindful of that i've done a lot of rounds actually where i'm like in a in a fasted state for a long time and i've noticed that uh like my brain waves slow down like i've actually noticed it um and i'm just you're just like in another level of thinking and and, and you don't want to like have extra stimuli uh during the rounds you obviously want to have your mind as clear as possible so to me it just depends on on what you're doing with your body and what you're eating already i like to eat like pretty clean um and i, I don't really uh have too many cravings for food i would say and that's something i had to train out of me because back in my junior days i had to eat a lot during the rounds because i was just used to eating a lot um, but that's been one of the breakthroughs that I've kind of been uh, discovering. And best thing for me is nothing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. In hand with nutrition, do you have uh, a workout regime that you do or a trainer that you work with on that front uh, at all? Yeah, I used to work with, well, we had the training at college. I've taken some workouts from that. I had a trainer. Um, that was specific for like mobility stuff and, and some speed. Uh, I did that for like three months. I've taken some of that. I've been trying to create my own kind of approach towards it. And uh, so far I do a lot of strength training uh, with weights and stuff to try to just build some muscle mass and a lot of core centric stuff because that's very important for balance and speed uh, to have core awareness. So that's been my focus and flexibility mobility is huge too interesting and on top of that i know you work 
on on your website it says you work with Nelson Mesa as your swing coach and club fitter. I want to jump back. You'd said something earlier that piqued my interest, and I want to jump back to that, which was talking about how for a while you were in the wrong clubs. Uh, tell us what the issue was in particular for you, uh, how you noticed it, and what the change was. Because you know a lot of times uh, we grow up, and at least I'll tell you what my mom used to tell me. Uh, I had uh, old pair of Callaway Big Bertha irons at one point, uh, and my mom was like, "Tiger Woods could break uh, par with those. You don't need anything new." Uh, so I'm sure a lot of kids are conditioned to hear hearing something like that, and that's uh, in some cases that may be true or not true. But those small feels that come with new equipment or different equipment, the changes, ball flight, and how your body reacts to the weight of the club, etc., matter. I know. Tell us about that issue and how you noticed it and what you did to change it. Yeah. I mean, I took the approach that your mom told me for a while and that's why I had this problem for too long. And I actually, I won the four ball with those clubs. And, uh, when I, when I decided to turn pro, I was able to, I contacted somebody from TaylorMade. Uh, he's the distributor for TaylorMade around the Dominican Republic. And I texted him, he was a family friend. Like, hey, can I get some discounts from like for clubs and stuff? Because TaylorMade kind of like dropped me, I would say, uh, when I turned pro. Um, they said they just needed to see like you know good performance when I played, uh, which is all right. And he kind of came to me with, like, "I'll give you free clubs and I'll be your manager. Like I want to be a part of your team." So it was like complete flip of the switch. Um, but we went out and actually I played like a like a minor league event with him and. He was caddying for me and he knows about clubs and stuff. And, and he tells me like the heads that I had at that time, which were the P like 770s, they had way too much offset and I was missing the ball left a lot, which offset does that for those of you who don't know. Um, so I was like, okay, I got to switch the heads. I switched the heads and then it turned out that I, I, um, I was using the wrong shafts and I got them like, they were too short at first. So I got them longer. And then this other guy tells me, uh, like, oh, no, you got to get them, like, you got to get other shafts that, that are a little, like, lighter because these were, like, way too heavy. Like, I was using Project X 7.0s. They were weighing, like, 135 grams. Like, these, these shafts were, like, telephone poles. Like, it was not a shaft. <laughs> and um, from there, I, I switched to other shafts that were like 115s they were fine and but i had cut them back to standard length for some reason some guy told me that i should do that um and then i i find nelly who's he's out here at true spec at Doral, and he told me hey like we got to do this right bro like you really have to do this right like you're a good player you got to invest in yourself the correct way um and i was like yeah let's do it and he's a club fitter but then he was telling me a few things like that I, I really liked the way he was telling me and I was like, I wanted to work with him. So I started working with him and uh, I just felt, I felt like a lot more secure working with him, like because of a big problem over my, like that career had been my clubs. So I was like, I feel like I finally have someone that I can rely on constantly. I can, he's my coach and my club fitter. Um, and, but it just, the whole process took forever. I mean, it just like so many of the things were, were delayed and stuff like that. But the one thing that I learned is it, you got to pick somebody and then listen to them. I, I, the mistake that I made is I started listening to 
too many people. I got different opinions, from like three or four people. And just kind of, first of all, like I, I didn't even know anything about my clothes being wrong until somebody told me. And then somebody that like was like, hey, like I think you could perform better with other clubs. And it all of a sudden like kind of gets in your head. It's like, oh, I don't really have the right clubs. And then, you know, that energy starts to, to build up. And um, then you're in a quest to find something that is now a problem that you never knew was a problem. Uh, it's better to not even know it. Uh, but I'm happy I knew about it because it is something that really matters. And now I'm, I'm really happy with the clubs that I have. And I feel good about my game. So now that you have a good setup of, clubs do you have kind of like a rotation of certain tee shot clubs that you switch out or you stay with the same setup every week um i have right now i have 15 clubs so i switch off from either my three iron two iron a three wood depending on the course um if uh if the course is pretty short i like hitting keeping the three iron in and taking the three wood out um i played a long time in my junior career without a three wood probably like two years. It was never a wood guy. Um, I always loved the long irons, the driving irons. Um, but yeah, I, I, those are the clubs I switch off. Just depends on, on the type of course. So sometimes you'll play with uh, a two iron and three wood and then pull that three iron out so you have a gap in between the two and four? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's something that I was talking with a buddy of ours who's on Corn Ferry the other day and he was – having the same thing except it was uh, three and four iron. So he's going to leave three iron in the bag and pull out uh, four iron. Now that you've kind of developed that sophistication to know, hey, I really don't need my uh, three iron in the bag for this 230 shot. I can hit my two iron in, in most situations where I'm hitting it. It's not necessarily like I'm doing surgery. So uh, it's okay to be hitting that two iron as far as that goes is that something you wish you would have learned when you were younger and maybe played with the bag a little more as far as understanding how to rotate those clubs in and out depending on the course you're going to play um i just uh, when i was growing up i just every time i got a three wood i would hit it terrible and it's just like something i was like I, i don't want to touch a wood and it took me until i actually found a wood and that was the first ever wood that I, that I got in my hand. And I was like, oh, this feels good. It was like the Sim 2 uh, or the Sim 3 wood. Uh, and I was like, okay, this is like, I'm hitting it pretty good. I also like improved a few things in my swing that, that allowed me to hit the 3 wood better. Um, and and now I have the Stealth 3 wood and, and I love it. Like I, it, it just, it's a really good club. And the reason I, I wanted to put it in too is because there's a lot of par fives where it's like, you know, you want to go forward in two, but it's just outside that two iron range. And you, I don't like really trying to smoke a two iron because that's when it starts to get a little, you know, the contact gets off and all that. So having a three wood has been a lot really helpful. And I honestly put in a three wood in just if, if I can reach a par five that I can't reach with a two iron and for that particular course. That would be something like 260. And, and like, you know, it's a good number to go for it. Um, but I would never be able to go for it with a two iron. Earlier you were talking about how the strength of your game is your iron play. What do you think has allowed you to become such a good iron player um, throughout your career? Um, well, I would say iron play and, and putting mainly. 
uh, I was just I would say iron play because I'm good at really uh, picking lines, and that's what the most important thing is. Like, I mean, when you get to this point of or my point of my career right now, where it's like you, you know the ball striking is really never uh, going to be too big of an issue. If anything, it's going to be a little off here and there. It's all about knowing how to pick your lines to hit greens. And uh, with par threes, like, you know, playing a center of green, like hitting, hitting just stock shots. And I just love practicing my irons. But I would say, you know, once you just find your rhythm uh, and, and find your, your swing, it's just all about picking the right lines and, and executing on them. And I've been able to, I feel like, do that pretty well, which has helped me strategize my way around the course and with putting it's just been always something i've loved and i've been pretty good at just i had a lot of putts growing up this is what i was talking about where i mean when i was growing up uh in junior golf where i, I won a lot of tournaments it was because like well i had a lot of putts that i needed to make uh, i mean a ton of playoffs and these little small local tours but you know it all came down to making the putt and it's always been something that i can rely on so would you say that would you say that as far as you know picking your lines with your irons and that's allowed you to become such a good iron player is that something that you were kind of just intuitively figured out as a junior golfer or did you have some coaching or experiences that led you to you know pick better lines with your approach shots um I would say in the beginning I was very aggressive with my with my iron play and I kind of learned it myself whereas like you know you kind of learn that, you know, like there's, uh, there's certain times where you just don't go for certain things. And, uh, it, growing up, I was very competitive and, and I wanted to, you know, put it as close as possible. But then, uh, I would say transitioning from, uh, the regular AJGAs to the invitationals taught me a lot because it was like, I started to play like high end golf courses that, you know, the, your misses were going to be exposed. And I learned a lot that, you know, in order for me to like stay in it and compete, um, I have to start picking the right lines and just reading books and, and stuff about it. Uh, and I would say in college, my coach was huge on, on strategy, on, on course management. Um, so that in college, it kind of solidified it for me, I would say, because I, I was still seeing some tendencies on on my game and getting a little too aggressive where I thought I could, but you know, statistically, and he had the stats, this guy has like a, a huge book of stats. Um, and it just, you know, it taught me what I needed to do. I'm kind of uh, curious. Do you remember any of those books that you did read that helped you with your strategy? Um, I mean, I, the only book honestly that I read about golf is Zen golf. Uh, I think it's the best book for golf. And it's just like, it's not really about strategy, but it makes you find your strategy because I mean, everybody has their own game. It helps you really understand how to approach the mental side of golf to keep things simple. And one of the things keeping simple is, you know, picking good lines, not being overly aggressive or overly emotional in certain shots. That's one thing I learned and applying those skills from that book to my game, I was able to, that's how, how I was able to find out how to do it myself, really. How do you, when you're taking these, um, 
lines where you know that you're playing on these courses that require you to take a lot more shots at the center of the green and away from the pin, you know you're going to end up with longer putts to degree. It also means you're not going to be short side as much, et cetera. But how do you make sure that you stay patient through that, knowing that, hey, you might hit a good shot and you might be left with a 30-footer or 40-footer, depending on uh, green layout, how you hit the shot, et cetera? Um, yeah, so I learned a lot from caddying from my from my friend at Q School for uh, Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, we were out there caddying. We were talking about strategy. He's a good player. And uh, he just he just told me, hey, like, all I want you to tell me this week is, like, play for the center of the green on every par three. I don't care what the number is. He would literally tell me, like, I don't want to know the number to the flag. Don't even measure it. Like, we have the number to the middle of the green. We're going to that. Because he's 30 years old. He's played golf long enough where he knows that if you – shoot even on par threes you're gaining shots on the field and uh there it was just like very clear to me especially on par threes where it's like there's no need to go for the flag just put it in play in the center of the green maybe make a putt maybe not but you know stress-free pars on par threes is, is the way to go but my biggest struggle was par fives actually i would be Barely, they're too aggressive on par fives and, and keep myself short-sighted. And, and he told me like to kind of just try out like laying up on every par five for like a little bit. And I noticed that, you know, there's there's a time and place to go for it and not. Um, it's about finding that mix. But when you are going to go for it, really understanding the risk reward and, you know, seeing how your body feels and seeing where you should be leaving it for the next shot. Cause like it's golf is about the next shot. Like it's like, it's about where are you going to play the next one from and is continuing to hit shots. Jumping ahead, kind of um, thinking about the next shot and uh, that when you finish up around, you've hit all the shots for a round, you go back to your hotel or wherever. How do you determine whether the tournament was a success or what are you evaluating afterwards besides just how you finish in the tournament? Cause you know, you mean you play golf against uh, a bunch of guys. You said you're playing against uh, Kiki and uh, came out there and shot five under that last day. And sometimes that's just how it goes. And you played good golf to do it. How do you determine what's a success? Um, well, first you have to understand what you can control and you can only control like you and your process. So one thing that's very big on me is like, you know, being clear as to like what I want my process to be. And that can change for a, a different shot. Like for example, my process is different with my driver than it is with my putting. But knowing what my process is and only focusing on that. And there's one thing that I like from that book that I read uh, is like changing your definition of making putts. Whereas like there's a difference between making a putt and holding a putt. And making a putt it is about, you know, you see your line and you go through your routine, you keep your head down, like you, you, you do what you can control. Like to me, that's making a putt, whether it went in or not. Um, and that's taking that approach with the whole part of the game where it's like, yeah, just focus on what you can control, your process. And if you did that, I like kind of tallying like when I did it or did uh, a stick to my process and then then that's what I assess after the round. And you can tell that when, you, when you're when you sticking to your process fully, like 
most of the time you're going to perform pretty well. And when you don't, it's like, oh, there I had like a couple of thoughts there that, that kind of like, you know, it got me out of my, out of my focus and it, it affected the, the outcome. Very cool. So, uh, we're getting close to end of time. And one question we ask at the end of every episode, um, is now you're older, you know a lot more about golf and ostensibly like if you went back to yourself when you're younger, you should be able to give yourself a piece of advice to help yourself get better. If you could do that and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Practice emotional maturity because there's, I mean, life and golf is going to throw you with so many things that it's going to, it's going to trigger your emotions. It's, it's going to make you understand, but your emotions like help you understand yourself instead of uh, acting on them, kind of like, you know, heeding the intelligence of the emotions, I would say, uh, and that would, that would help me a lot more in my junior career. And it's helped me so far and I'm continuing to do that. It's not an easy thing to do because emotions are strong. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I would tell myself. That is, that is incredibly mature and something we all could definitely could learn from. Um, I know that you have a podcast, uh, among other things, where can people reach you, find you, learn more about you and what you're about? Yeah. So follow my, my podcast on YouTube. It's called fade the public podcast, uh, on Instagram. I post some Instagram reels, fade the public underscore podcast or pod. Um, and yeah, just follow me on Instagram at leo.herrera0719. And I just started this uh, golf YouTube channel uh, with me and one of, my, one of my boys. It's called Fade the Public Golf. Thanks for joining us today. Please do us a big favor and like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so we can help others learn how to play better tournament golf. You can find us online at thetournamentcode.com, on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter at tournament code. As always, feel free to reach out to us at those places or email us at Daniel at the tournament code.com and Cooper at the tournament code.com. We hope you join us as we continue to dive deeper into what it takes to play elite tournament golf.